0: Hey guys, Josh here. If you're a regular listener of the Beards and Bible podcast, you may remember a few episodes ago we mentioned I came out with a book called Committed Biblical Masculinity. It's now available on Amazon. But we are also releasing a limited series podcast related to the book, where every episode is essentially a chapter of the book, uh, along with interviews from special guests about the topics of the book. So this is episode one from that podcast. If you want to hear the other episodes, um, you can find Committed Masculinity Podcast on the Apple Podcast, on Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else where you get podcasts. So uh, if you're a guy and you're interested in this topic, I hope you enjoy. The weirdest meetings you ever have as a pastor are the ones you step into with little or no context about who it is you're meeting and why they want to meet with you in the first place. Such was the case on a cold afternoon in November as I pulled into a parking spot across the street from a coffee shop where I was scheduled to meet with a guy named Gary at four. I was five minutes early, but as I walked in the door I saw this Gary guy didn't like being late either. He was the only other customer in the place and already had his coffee. He was sitting in one of the wingback chairs near a window nervously sipping as I walked in the door. Gary? He stood up, introduced himself, and shook my hand. I ordered my coffee and took a seat in the other chair across from him. Right away, I could see something was on his mind. I started trying to make small talk and ask him about his work when he interrupted me. I don't know how much time you've got, but I really need some guidance. Here's my situation. Please tell me what you think I should do. He proceeded to tell me about his struggling marriage. He and his wife were separated, but still living in the same house. He'd made his fair share of mistakes over the years, and so had she. But things were worse now than they ever had been. Their relationship was fractured and teetering dangerously close to the brink of divorce. He'd never been a church-going man, but now he was desperate. His life was falling apart. He needed God, and he wanted to make things right. "'So what should I do?' he asked. I took a deep breath then, and we started talking about faith and the power of the gospel— How God could take any broken situation and turn it around for good. I encouraged him to fully commit himself to Christ, to pray for his marriage, and to do everything he could to make things right with his wife. We talked about taking responsibility, owning his mistakes, offering forgiveness, and pursuing healing. Gary listened and didn't say much as I talked, just nodded along with me in agreement in between occasional coffee sips. When I finished talking, he nodded one last time and said, okay, I'm in. A month later, I watched Gary profess his full commitment to Christ in the waters of baptism. A little while after that, I saw him sitting next to his wife at church for the first time. Gary started showing up at almost every men's ministry event we offered. He started serving alongside several other men to work on our church building. Slowly but surely, God started putting Gary's life and marriage back together. Gary's commitment to Christ through obedience to God's word was evident as the power of the Holy Spirit restored What seemed to be a hopeless situation. Now Gary serves as an elder at our church. One of the most incredible privileges of my ministry was getting the honor to officiate a vow renewal ceremony between Gary and his wife. God did the work, but Gary committed. It's amazing to me now to stop and think that all of that restoration, renewal, healing, and miracle-working power got kicked off by a simple phrase. Okay, I'm in. Welcome to the Committed Masculinity Podcast, a limited series that explores the issues and challenges facing Christian men who are serious about Jesus's invitation to be a disciple. On each episode of our series, we will review the content of each chapter of the book, Committed Biblical Masculinity, and then discuss the issues on each episode with special guests. On today's episode, introduction. Committed Biblical Masculinity in a world full of flakiness and confusion with a special guest, Gary Rapier. Commitment issues. Commitment to the right things can produce incredible results. But let's be honest, commitment is boring. It holds us back from all the other cool things that could be out there. It stifles us, restrains us. It's overrated. At least that's the message preached to us day in and day out by our culture. We want low commitment and countless options. Commitment just isn't popular anymore. Now, perhaps more than ever before, as men, we're putting a lower premium on commitment and a higher value on keeping our options open. The other night, my wife and I sat down to relax and watch some TV. We had a choice between multiple video streaming services, Hulu, Netflix, Prime, Peacock. Once we found a streaming service, we then had the choice between thousands of options of movies, TV shows, or documentaries. After that, we had a choice between something funny, action-packed, dramatic, or heartwarming. And once we finally made our selection, we had the option at any time to back out and choose something else without any penalties or consequences. But let's be honest, once we found a show we both agreed on, one of us fell asleep... And the other started scrolling on the phone. Researchers from the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill have actually studied how our culture immersed in online technology makes us flakier and more noncommittal. It's a lot easier for a guy to text a friend with an excuse as to why he's canceling his evening plans than it is to call them. And it's more convenient to hit the interested button on a Facebook event to something he was never planning on going to than it is to mark decline on a paper RSVP card. Internet pornography has completely reshaped how men view commitment to women in sexual or romantic relationships. Internet porn has been shown to literally rewire the male brain because it never requires its consumers to focus or commit to one female in a sexual pursuit. As Gary Wilson, the author of Your Brain on Porn, puts it, with Internet porn, a guy can see more hot babes in 10 minutes than his ancestors could see in several lifetimes. The problem is he has a hunter-gatherer brain, a heavy user brain rewires itself to this genetic bonanza so it carefully becomes associated with this porn harem. Through internet pornography, a man now has unprecedented access to the private and personal features of thousands of women of every size, shape, ethnicity, hair color, and body type. And he doesn't have to commit to any of them. He can use them for whatever he wants, close out the tab, and open another to search for another woman of any different type to arouse his excitement every day. Men are presented with thousands of choices, some trivial and others deeply significant, and often for fear of making the wrong choice and missing out on something better, we make no choice, or we commit half-heartedly with a backup plan, or we commit to something in the moment but later find that we lack the consistency, willpower, and focus to actually follow through and do what we said we were going to do, even in the church. It's difficult to find faithful Christian men who will consistently commit to serving on ministry teams, being involved in small groups or discipling relationships, or even attending church faithfully with their wives and kids. It's safe to say that as men, we have serious commitment issues. Not only that, we struggle even to understand what it means to be a man. In our postmodern culture, traditional gender roles and understandings of masculinity are seen by many as bygone relics from oppressive societies that have no use in our progressive enlightened era. For the sake of being accepted and relevant to the culture at large, many have tried to label masculine gender roles as simply constructs of the collective imagination of the oppressive patriarchy, and nothing more or nothing less than that. But try as we might, concepts of masculinity and manhood won't be dismissed, and they're not going away. Men and women are different. And those differences are more than just biology. In response, some men have allowed a bastardized, corrupted, sinful version of what it means to be masculine shape their understanding of manhood. Porn, fringe activist groups like the Proud Boys, an exclusively male political organization that swears in members under the oath, a proud male chauvinist who refuses to apologize for creating the modern world, and hypersexualized and hyperviolent media disciple men each and every day with false and toxic versions of masculinity. Some men buy into caricatures of masculinity, like Boys Don't Cry. They create a mythology that says real men don't get emotional, and any man that does should feel shame and is effeminate. This toxic lie creates untold emotional and relational trauma to countless men as their wives, children, and male friends struggle to connect and relate to them emotionally. Or, real men do manly work and leave the housework for the women. This caricature of manhood usually is passed down generationally. It relegates things like cleaning, cooking, dishes, and child care as tasks only for women, while carpentry, construction, lawn care, and outdoor manual labor are reserved only for men. Or how about this one? The greatness of a man is measured by his success on the ball field, his prowess in the bedroom, or the size of his billfold. In other words, performance equals value. Therefore, a man's competence, mastery, or dominance over other weaker men in certain areas of life earns him his worth. Men are shamed as displaying toxic masculinity by many progressives when they act too manly, and men are shamed by other men for being effeminate when they don't act manly enough. The truth is, many of us have no idea what our purpose and our role as men is supposed to look like, so we take cues from culture ...or from those around us about what it means or what it doesn't mean to be a man. And true, biblical masculinity doesn't get talked about. But there are huge, cataclysmic consequences for us being unwilling to talk about godly biblical masculinity. Men are in crisis right now. The suicide rate among American men is four times higher than among women. Although depression is higher in women than men... Less than 25% of men surveyed who had depression sought any help. 64% of Christian men view pornography at least once a month. Men who regularly view pornography have a 300% increase in their marital infidelity rate. Men are less likely to attend church, pray, or view their faith as very important in their lives than women. When we fail as men to step into our God-given role and calling, we fail our wives Children and the generations to come who need strong, godly men who will display what true biblical masculinity looks like. We have a serious identity crisis. A call to commitment. It's not supposed to be this way. Even though flakiness seems to be the rule of the day, God calls his men to be different. Even if the concept of faithful commitment is lost right now in our culture, God is a God of covenant. A covenant is a promise made that is never intended to be broken. Throughout the Bible, God made covenants with His people by promising to act, or not to act, see Genesis 9:11, and display His faithfulness regardless of how noncommittal and unfaithful people may be. As Christians, we are partakers in the new covenant, Luke 22, 20, where God promised to forgive our sins and restore us to relationship with Him through the Messiah, Jesus. Hebrews 7:22. Scripture paints a picture of a God who makes and keeps promises, who is faithful, and who will never lie, never give up on us, and never leave or forsake us. Even when we are faithless, fickle, and inconsistent, God is faithful towards us. That's good news. But listen carefully. God desires for you to display those same attributes of commitment and faithfulness in your life. He wants you to be faithful in your commitment as a disciple of Jesus. One of the parables of Jesus speaks of faithful and wise servants who commit to obedience to the Master, even in his absence. Matthew 24, 45 and 46. Jesus warned us that the journey of discipleship on the road to eternal life would be narrow and difficult. Matthew 7:14. God desires for you to make a commitment to being faithful to Jesus even when it's difficult. Commitment is required. For the follower of Jesus If you're married, God wants you to be faithful in your commitment to your wife. In a culture that teaches us we can divorce our spouse for any reason and go find someone more compatible if she asks us to change for any reason, the word of God reads like a punch in the gut. "I hate divorce," says the Lord, the God of Israel, Malachi 2:16. "God's will is for you to be faithful to your wife sexually, emotionally and mentally and to lead and serve her faithfully even as Christ loves the church Ephesians 5:25 commitment is a necessity for christian men in the covenant of marriage he wants you to be faithful in your commitments in all areas of your life in your relationships with your brothers in Christ in your commitment to your church and in your career and business dealings why because if you wear the title christian you are claiming to represent the character of Jesus Christ. And when you are faithful, you proclaim the faithfulness of God to a world that needs to see a faithful God. Right now, more than ever before, the world needs faithful men who are not afraid to commit their lives to the right things. A call to recapture our identity. Before I went into full-time pastoral ministry, I taught high school and middle school for six years. The young men and women that I taught for the most part, not all, but for the most part, lacked positive feminine and masculine role models in their lives. In other words, they had no idea what it meant to grow up as a man or a woman. In certain cases, dad wasn't at home or was completely out of the picture, and mom was an alcoholic or abusive or a victim of abuse. So these young men and women were forced to look elsewhere to find out who they were supposed to be. On one end of the spectrum, there were well-meaning figures that gave exceptionally vague, androgynous nothingness about what it meant to be male and female in the name of not wanting to hurt feelings and wanting to include everyone. However, those voices were usually outshouted and out-preached by television, movies, video games, pornography, pop or hip-hop music, social media, and online content that preached to them every day about what it meant to be a real man or a real woman. And usually, that involved a highly sexualized, over-exaggerated caricature of manhood or womanhood. Real men drove trucks, watched sports, shot guns, and proved their masculinity by the number of women they were able to bed. Real women were subtle but aggressive in how they used their sexuality like a powerful weapon to control and manipulate. So, which voice won? The voice that told them that there were no real differences between guys and girls and we can just grow into whatever we want to be and gender is a fluid construct with multiple genders or the ones that confirmed that yes, there are differences but gave misconstrued and abusive definitions of what those differences actually are. I'll let you take a wild guess. If you are a follower of Jesus, the world and surrounding culture has no business defining for you what a man is supposed to be, or not supposed to be. God is the one who defines that for us. Genesis 5-2 says, God created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. Jesus would later echo this in Mark ten six when he declared that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. There is a beautiful design from God when it comes to who we are as men and women. For far too long, we've let the surrounding culture hijack our identity as men. If we're to be who God has called us as men, we must go back to his word and recapture our identity. God's vision for masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? My almost two-year-old son is a male, but that certainly doesn't make him a man. By and large, across all cultures, ethnicities, and generations of human history— as evidenced by masculine archetypes appearing in literature, history, and societal understandings, there are attributes that men tend to value in themselves and each other more so than do women. While strength, courage, competence, and honor are not exclusive to men, we as men tend to place a higher premium on these things. To acknowledge this reality is not to denigrate or belittle women, but rather to recognize the obvious, no matter how many still choose to deny it. Masculinity exists. There are things that we see as manly that are almost universal. But where did those attributes that almost every culture recognizes come from? Could it be that God has placed those things in the heart of every man because that's part of His design for us? As men, our role is to be spiritual leaders of our home and to lead our wives and children as we submit to God's authority. We display the image of God by showing what Jesus looks like and how we serve and love our wives, Ephesians 5.25, and what God the Father looks like and how we love, protect, provide, and raise our children. True masculinity means being selfless. Genesis 5.25 commands husbands to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That means that the kind of love Jesus shows towards us is the kind of love that men are called to show our wives and families. Christ's love towards us is selfless. He gave himself up for his bride, the church, and he went to the cross. Therefore, the Bible calls us as men to give ourselves up and lay down our lives for those around us. That means our pursuits, hobbies, interests, desires, and what we want all come after our spouses and families. That's real manhood. Real godly men are selfless and sacrificial, not self-seeking. True masculinity means being humble, temperate, and self-controlled. Nowhere in the Bible is a man encouraged to be an alpha male who puffs out his chest and takes charge to get what he wants, be it from the workplace or from a woman. On the contrary, we're encouraged to consider others more important than ourselves, Philippians 2-3, to discipline our bodies and bring them under control, 1 Corinthians 9:27), and to be gentle and self-controlled in all that we do, Galatians 5:23). A man with no control of his vices or urges is no man at all, but only an overgrown boy who can shave. True masculinity means putting away childish things. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Biblical manhood involves being willing to grow up accept the responsibilities of adulthood, and put away our childish impulses. It means that real men are willing to work hard, communicate in a mature and productive manner, and stop making everything about them. True masculinity means respecting, honoring, and valuing women as joint heirs with Christ. In God's beautiful design, He has created men and women differently and yet with equal value, dignity, and worth. 1 Peter 3.7 tells men to show women honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. That means things like physical, verbal, emotional, and sexual abuse are heinous violations of God's word and commands. But even things like denying a woman's civil rights, forbidding her education, or devaluing her perspective, viewpoint, and opinion are also breaking God's charge on us as men to honor and respect women. Even subtle things like misogynistic, disparaging comments made about women that are shrouded in humor disrespect and defile the very image of God. Real, godly men respect and honor women. It's not an accident that you're a man. That aspect of your personhood was created by God for a reason. But are you acting according to God's version of what a real man is? Or are you still chasing after some silly, juvenile caricature of manhood that you learned from the middle school locker room? God has called you to be a man of faithfulness and commitment. He wants you to display His covenant-keeping character to an unbelieving world. But are you allowing yourself to fall victim to our noncommittal culture by failing to follow through on the things that are most important? By this point, you might be feeling pretty discouraged and disheartened. Like, this is just one more podcast that beats up on guys in the name of Jesus and tells them to get their act together, suck it up, and be a man. But keep listening. I've got some good news for you. Listen, you are absolutely incapable in your own strength of becoming the man you were created to be. And that could be the best news you've ever heard. The answer for us as men is to step into our God-given identity and simply allow ourselves to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the path for that to happen is through the power of the gospel. Jesus is the only one who can make you who you were called to be. It's not about your manliness. It's about his power at work in you. If you want to lean into what God has called you to as a man and explore what it means to be a man of commitment, there's hope. And his name is Jesus. Keep listening. I'm here with my friend, Gary. Gary,
1: how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Good. Difficult day at work, but I made it through.
0: You made it through. Yeah. You were, you were committed to pushing through, so. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Had a lot of people relying on me, but that's okay. <laughs> well, Gary is uh,
0: someone that I, I was uh, fortunate enough to meet back probably seven, eight years ago. November
1: of 2013.
0: Yeah, man. That seems like yesterday and some... Yeah, it does when we think about it a little bit but uh maybe you want to tell some folks just about yourself and who you are and what
1: you're about and well uh, my name's gary uh i'm just a simple guy uh had a difficult life growing up uh, but thankfully you know I, I met a good woman and and uh, you know like any other marriage we've had our struggles and difficulties and, and that was one of those difficulties was when You and I met, uh, but, you know, the blessings from God and and just his will for our lives and submitting to that is what led us to where we are now. So now we've been married for 33 years. We've got Mm. three kids, eight grandkids, uh, all but one of them are girls. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm just your basic everyday guy. I mean, I'm nobody special, but, uh, you know, I just love life.
0: Yeah, man. So, um, and you can share only what you're comfortable sharing, but, um, when you and I first met, you you told me that your life was a bit of a mess.
1: It was a lot
0: of a mess. Yeah. So, um,
1: maybe walk, walk me through like where you were and ha- how'd you get there? Uh, I was in, as my wife and I would describe it, we were in living hell. Um, mm-hmm. at that particular point in our life, we had become empty nesters, um, we didn't know really who either one of us were. There had been some bad decisions made on both parts uh, through time but at that point in time they had all come to the surface and there was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of anger and to be honest with you I was I was lost my my kids and I we have a good relationship but I wasn't you know the first person that they came to so at that point in time I just I didn't know if I wanted to go on. Um, in your marriage you mean in anything um, oh well wow. um part of my story that you don't know that you know after you and I had met and after I had had started uh, attending church uh, the night before I got baptized which you were there
0: yeah
1: um i was in a bad place and i actually prayed that god would just just go ahead and take me out oh man i i'm like look if this is what life is going to be i don't want any part of it Um, so that's, that's where I was at. I mean, it was in a really ugly, dark place, but in the middle of that, right before you and I met, um, I was on my front porch. Um, I'd been drinking and I cried out to a God that I didn't know Hmm. because I, I don't, I don't have any type of upbringing. I was not brought up in the church. I was not brought up to know who Christ was. And I was on my front porch and I cried out to a guy that I didn't know and just basically saying, hey, you know, if you're real, if you are who people say you are, I can't do this by myself. I need help. Mm. And that's basically the gist of it. That's not word for word, but that's where I was at. Sure. And I explained to people and I went to bed and and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I went to bed by myself and cried myself to sleep that night.
2: Mm.
1: Didn't, you know. That's just where I was at. I mean, it was a bad place. Um, But I surprisingly, I slept well that night. And when I woke up the next morning, I know firsthand when people talk about the peace that comes beyond all understanding. Hmm. Because I had a peace within me, even in the midst of all the ugliness that we were living through at the time. I had a peace that I don't know where it came from. And I, I just, I'm like, wow, what is this? Wow. So I started digging into the Word a little bit more. I had a Bible that my uh, my dad and his wife had given me years and years ago, and I just started digging into it. I, I didn't really know what I was reading, didn't know where I was going. I just opened it up and started reading. Uh, and I, I, just, I just started doing that. And then I had a friend of mine that attended the campus in Murfreesboro, and uh, I said, hey, you know, do you mind if I go to church with you? And he's like, well, no, said, that'd be great. Well, him and his family went at the 9 o'clock. Hmm. No, they went to the 11. Uh, and that's the same service that my wife at the time was going to. So I asked him if he would be willing to go to the 9 so I could get in and get service and then leave before my wife got there. Wow. So you guys were like we weren't separate talking. services. We were separate services. We were living in the same <laughs> house, but we didn't say two words to each other. Wow. Uh, for for a long time, yeah. Um, the first service I attended, I believe Corey was in Romans, and I was sitting there next to my friend, and and I started showing him the notes that I had taken the night before, which was the exact scriptures that Corey was going over. And I'm like, "Hey, look, this is telling me something." Wow. And he was like, "Well, no, there are no coincidences. Yeah, this is this is there for a reason." And I just started digging a little bit more, and I started digging into the Word and. And shortly, in about that time, is is when you and I met, and and something that you had told me after I ex- explained all this to you, before we had left, something that you had told me stuck with me, and, and you had said to act as if there was nothing wrong.
2: Hmm.
1: And I don't I don't know why you said that because that's not normally advice that that knowing you now that I think you would give. Yeah, that's fine. I don't remember saying that. So. <laughs> So that's what I did, you know. Yeah. I, I started looking into scripture, and I'm like, okay, what is what is this? So I started. Um, it was kind of strange when when I would get home. If if my wife was already there, she would be in the spare bedroom with the door closed. Yeah. She would stay there until I went to bed in in our room, and then she would get out and eat and watch TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd go knock on the door. Hey, I'm making something to eat. Do you want something? You know, you want a cup of coffee? I'm making some coffee. Do you want something? Hey, you know I'm gonna pray before I go to bed. Do you want to pray? And it was funny. She told me at one point in time, when I asked her if she wanted to pray with me, she's like, "No, we're never gonna pray together. I'm never gonna pray with you. I'm never gonna study the Bible with you. I'm never gonna do that with you. Just leave me alone, and that's wow. it." But as you know now, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, never say never, right? Yeah. Because you know, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I mean, we lead a couples group together, and it's it's just. I mean, we serve together, and it's just awesome. Yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a rough ride, but that, that point in time in my life. And the only reason I share that is, is not because of, it wasn't because of anything that, that, that my wife and I had done. Uh, it was all what God had done for somebody that did not know him in that moment. Hmm. and And here I am, I'm like, who am I, you know? Yeah. And I always think about that.
0: Would you say that you were just in this a place of desperation, <clears throat> like you you didn't have anything else to lean on, you didn't have anything else to rely on, and that's absolutely. when you yeah.
1: absolutely, I didn't know who I was. You know, I, I had a job. You know, I I had identified as a husband and a father for so long, and according to my wife, our marriage was over. Our kids were gone with their own lives. Mm. They didn't need me. Yeah. You know, I had my job, um, but that's just a job, you right, know? That, right? That didn't. It didn't fulfill me. I didn't have anything to fulfill me at that point in time, and, yeah. and I didn't know who I was. Yeah. Didn't have anything to fulfill me, and and I had no purpose. Wow. And uh, that's that's all definitely changed now.
0: Yeah. So you know, this podcast, as you know, is about um, men's identity, mm-hmm. men's purpose, what it means to be a, a biblical man. I mean, when you were in that place. And if somebody had asked you, like, what does it mean to be a man? Like, what, what definition do you think you would have given them?
1: At that point in time, I would have said I don't know. Hmm. Uh, I didn't have a very good example. Uh, growing up is what a man should be. Yeah. Um, on the opposite sides of it, I, ha- I had a stepdad that was an abusive alcoholic. Hmm. And then my biological father was... He was in a religion that was very legalistic, Mm. only on the Sabbath. Interesting. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of different. So I I had, you know, I I never lived with my dad for probably five or six months when I was 17, um, after I'd already left the house, but I was already a rebel by then. You know, I was already, you know. Going against the system and going against authority and everything else. Um, Because the authority that I'd grown up with just wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't worth following. It wasn't worth doing that, which leads me to, I mean, I can relate that to some husband and wife stuff, but. Sure. um,
0: Yeah. So it just kind of seems like I've talked to a lot of guys that um, maybe grow up in similar backgrounds where they don't seem to have a strong godly, masculine role model, and then they start going into adulthood and start looking for identity and purpose in their marriage and their job. And What was that like for you? Did you seem to find your identity and purpose in, in those things?
1: I think my goal, looking, looking back now, I think my goal at that point in time, the one thing growing up, the way that I did, witnessing some of the stuff that I'd witnessed with, with my stepdad, because they were married when, when I was about two or three, so I was real young. Um, and they stayed married until I was about 16, but all the stuff I witnessed then, in my opinion, were, were negative, Hmm. uh, the way that I'd watched him treat my mother, the way that he had treated me and my sister. And, um, so I had made the decision before I'd gotten married that if I ever do get married, if I ever do have kids, I am not going to let them go through what I went through.
2: Hmm.
1: That was my purpose. I believe. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to make sure that my wife wasn't subjected to the violence that that my mother was, that my kids weren't subjected to the abuse that that my sisters and I were. Um, so that was my goal and my purpose is to make sure that they didn't have the same life that I had. Right. And and now you can talk to my wife, and my children. And I've succeeded in that. Sure. Thirty three years of marriage, and I have never raised my voice to my wife. Wow. And That's you can answer that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's
1: that's impressive.
0: So you got to this place of desperation. You got to mm -hmm. this place of reliance. You felt like there was no other place to go but up, you know, crying out to the God that that you weren't quite sure you didn't know. Exactly. And um, how did your life change after that moment? Like I, I still remember the morning you got baptized. That was was that Christmas Eve or the day before? December twenty second. Okay, that's my
1: birthday. Yes, <laughs> they did not warm the water up for me. <laughs> it was cold. I do remember that. Yes, yeah. it was. Um, and I, re- I remember being so excited. Um, I mean, I wore jeans. I didn't change in anything. Yeah. And, and Corey was like, oh, "Those are nice jeans. That's a nice shirt." I'm like, "I don't care. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm getting in." But. Um, so what was the question? Oh, well just how
0: were, was thinking. Besides it being frigidly cold, how were, how were things different after you got baptized? Oh and wow! After you committed um, yourself to Christ. Oh, sorry about that's, that. that. That's Gary's lightsaber, or also uh, his phone.
1: <laughs> there's just been. I mean, everything's different. Uh, so, like I said, I didn't feel like I had a purpose. I didn't feel like I was worth anything. Uh, Mm. because one of the things that I was told growing up is I would never amount to anything. Mm. I would never be worth anything. I'd never get married. I'd never have kids. And, and, you know, I was always degraded when I was growing up. And I felt that way.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Even though I had told myself I didn't believe it, I guess deep down I did, you know. Mm. And then after marriage was about failed, kids were gone, I'm like, well, he was right, you know. Wow. Um, But after, after, after... Salvation, I'll say. Um, I remember things slowly started to change. Hmm. Um, my wife had asked me a couple of times, she's like, Okay, why do you treat me like this? Hmm. I ignore you. I don't talk to you. Why are you asking me if I want coffee? Why are you asking me this? Why are you asking me that? And I was, I don't know, I was probably a month into the scriptures. And uh, my reply was simply, Is because this is the way God, this is what God. God says I should do. This is how God tells me to treat you. So wow. that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and let's see, I got baptized on s- December 22nd. And and it's so funny. God had his hand in that. And this might not relate to any of this, but we tried to separate. Hmm. I tried to find another place. She tried to find another place. And I had lined up three different places to stay within a couple of months Last minute, every one of them fell through. Hmm. Every one of them fell through. And then it was probably almost a month after I got baptized, uh, she came to me and she said, hey, look, and it was actually on my birthday when she told me this, but apparently God had been working on her as well because she said, okay, I think we, you know I want to work on this. And we were like, whoa, yes. She's like, I'm sorry to drop this on your birthday. I'm like, no, that's great. <laughs> but, uh, so once we, we decided that we were going to work on it, we made the decision. We, we verbally said, okay, divorce is not on the table. It's, it's, we're not even going to talk about it anymore. We tried for quite some time to force things on our own. Okay. We're not any good at communicating. We need to work on that. So we bought books on communication, uh, we need to go on dates together. So we started going on dates together that were kind of awkward, actually. <laughs> I'm sure. But when we finally, after about a month of doing that, we finally said, okay, look, this isn't working right. We feel like we're sliding backwards. Let's just concentrate on Christ. Let's just do this. Let's let's just literally, like we said, let's just give it to God. Yeah. Let Him take care of it. We will focus on Him and let Him focus on us. And that's what we did. And the changes were not immediate Hmm. but they were kind of rapid compared to some of the other folks that you know i've dealt with and talked to since then yeah um the marriage is is healed and i've got a relationship with my wife now that i never thought possible wow uh we have got a deeper connection on a spiritual level that i never knew existed Hmm. and 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 i credit i credit god with that um the, the identity of who I am. Uh, one of my favorite worship songs that we sing is I Am a Child of God.
2: Mm.
1: And if you look back at some—because we, we had a, a worship night that was I Am a Child of yeah. God, and we made that sign, and I actually helped hang it up in the sanctuary over there. Mm. And there's a picture of me standing in front of it, pointing at it. And <laughs> uh, that's what I identify now. I, yeah. I am— I'm a child of the creator first and foremost. Yeah. Um, And because of what I've learned he has done for me and he continues to do for me, I feel all I can do is just return it. It's the best way I can. Yeah. Um, That's awesome, man.
0: So what would you say to maybe some guys listening to this that might be in the same place that you were when you and I first met? What advice would you give
1: to, to someone like that? Don't be afraid of change. Hmm. Because I think that's something that a lot of guys are afraid of. They get set in a routine, they get set in a a mindset of of who they are and how they act. Um, That, okay, for me to do this, something's gotta change. Hmm. And if you read scriptures, and, and you honestly and truly have an interaction with Christ, you're gonna change. I don't yeah. believe anybody can stay the same after after that one-on-one meeting with Christ. Um, and that's usually where I try to lead them. Um, of course, I always pray for them, because uh, I've talked to guys yeah. about this before. Yeah. And I try to bring them to a, a place of stronger belief because a lot of the guys that I've talked to, they know who Christ is. They know the you know they they know the scriptures. Right, They, right, they right. know the gospel. But it seems like I was the belief wasn't there. Mm. Uh, so that's the you know and just don't give up. Yeah, you know, stay in the Word because that was that was my nightly routine. Stay in the Word. Mm. Uh, I just read, and sometimes I was just reading aimlessly, but it just it never ceased to. Be applicable to my situation. didn't yeah. matter. Didn't matter whether I was in New Testament or Old Testament, there was always something there that I could apply to myself. Sure, and just be willing. Um, yeah. Because if you, it's harder to change yourself than it is to let God change you. Mm. Uh, it's been my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just commit to allowing that because that's that's the heart of God is He wants to bring us to that place. Yeah, and just allow that. And just don't fight it. Why do you think commitment is so hard for so many guys? <clears throat> fear. Mm. Um, fear is one of the reasons. I think there's there's several reasons. Uh, fear of change. Mm. Um, that's that's a big one. A lot of, a lot of times, because uh, I've seen you know guys they'll commit to stuff. They'll commit to their jobs. They'll commit to making money. They'll commit to sports teams. Yeah. They'll commit to, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, a weekly gathering at the local pub, whatever they're going right, to commit to, right. they'll commit to it. Um, but I think it's just, I don't know, trying to establish a desire and change your priorities of what you're committed to. Um because I know there's a lot of things in, in my schedule and a lot of things that I used to do that aren't as important to me. I still enjoy them. Um, I still enjoy hunting. I still enjoy fishing. I still enjoy sports. But that's not my priority.
2: Hmm.
1: My priority first um, is my family. My hmm. uh, uh, if there's something that I feel God is leading me to do, whether it be here at the church or even out in the community, uh, doing things for others, hmm. you know that that comes first to me, and and I get more joy and satisfaction out of doing that than I used to get out of hunting or fishing or yeah. sitting around watching a, a, a game, you know. Yeah, it's so interesting you would say that because I think <clears throat> I've found that to
0: be true too. So many guys I talk to, it's the fear of Sacrifice. hmm You know, it's like, okay, so if I really do this, if I commit to putting God first in my life, I commit to doing my marriage the way God calls me to do it, then that's going to mean I have to give some things up, and I'm not sure I want to give these things up. And there's the fear of, man, my life is not going to be as good on the other side of it as it is right now. But what's so funny about that is hearing almost everybody I've talked to that is willing to go all in for the Lord,
1: they look back on that and go, man, I didn't know what living looked like. Right, right. And uh I don't know, I think one of the things that, that a lot of guys can't really comprehend is eternity.
2: Mm.
1: You know, we're we're so programmed to live for here, live for now, get what you can get now because when you die it's gone. But they they don't have the concept or they don't have a good grip on eternity. Because what pro- what God promises us is a life of eternity with Him. So if we're living with that eternity mindset, the things that we would gather here in this world or this life, they don't really mean anything. You yeah. know the, the relationships, the the service to others, um, and and you know and in my belief that that's what glorifies God, and I think that's what He's looking for, and that's what He's called us to do. Absolutely. And. And you know, like you said in in your book, you know I'm all in.
0: So. Yeah, that's awesome, man.
1: Well, Gary, thank
0: you so much, man, for sharing a little bit of your heart and your story. And any any parting words for any guys listening to this, or any guys in a in a small group going through this material, or any guy reading the book?
1: Well, I don't. Yeah, there there would be. I would I would suggest and I would recommend that that you find somebody that you can trust that you can talk to. I think it's very, very important because, you know, like I mentioned, I had that buddy of mine that I went to church with. One of the first things I committed to when I started that was a weekly men's group, uh, 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning that I had to drive 40 miles to go to. (laughs) But it was worth it. Uh, You know, I learned some stuff and I didn't know at that point in time what it was like to be a godly man. So I tried to find other godly men to surround myself with, Mm. to ask advice, to learn from, to watch. Uh, and to those that are already committed you are being watched mm. so you know, just make sure that you know you don't gripe and moan and complain about having to do stuff you yeah know. yeah that's you know that's why I've tried to change my verbiage when you know we've got events here or I've got to go do something so I'm like I've changed it from I have to to I get to
0: yeah there you go uh,
1: because I get to do that yeah. and, and it's a blessing you know I've been saved from a lot of stuff. So why wouldn't I want to? Yeah, you know that's 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 my heart. Yeah, you know, so there you go. That's awesome, man. Gary, appreciate it a lot, man. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it too. Yeah, man.
0: Thanks for listening to the Committed Masculinity podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want more, head over to Amazon and pick up your copy of the book, Committed Biblical Masculinity. Please give this podcast a share, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thanks again for listening.